In this, the first of our podcasts in 2012, Aaron Kennedy talks to Tobias Jones about what inspired him to set up his community house in the woods near Bristol, what it's like, and what communities like it are saying to the church today. Tobias Jones, thanks for being willing to have a chat with us. This is the Moot Community Podcast, and uh, you are a novelist of some renown mainly from your book as far as i can tell your book uh, the dark heart of italy which is still selling quite well the book we're interested in probably most as a community is utopian dreams about communities and uh, spirituality i guess and then more recently you've written the salati case you're also a journalist and you've been experimenting with community so I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about this community that you've set up, uh, a woodland shelter, and I guess some of the reflections you've been sharing with Guardian readers or Observer readers, I should say. So yeah, what's the what's the setup there, and what what inspired you to set up? Well, it's a it's a ten acre site. It's a it's an old quarry, so it's a sort of a an egg shaped bowl. Uh, um, and you know the trees have naturally regenerated um, from the you know from when quarrying was stopped in the late sixties, so they're fairly sort of mature trees, and mm-hmm. it's basically a family house, and we have three, four, or five five guests living with us. Um, we share all our meals together, and and we sort of manage the woodland together, really. And you know we we do all the tasks you'd, you'd associate with, with managing woodland. So a lot of felling, cross cutting, splitting, stacking logs, planting, coppicing, uh, rearing pigs, keeping chickens, keeping bees, building shelters, um, building outside ovens and benches, and running a forest school for sort of local children and. You know all sorts of activities, and you know we we have a workshop. So we do a lot of you know simple, basic green woodwork, carpentry, that sort of thing. And what what were some of the reasons that drove you to set it up? Um, all sorts of things, really. I mean, I think uh, I personally don't think the nuclear family is a natural way to live. I don't think any of us have enough time or money to to live in a nuclear family really mm-hmm. um so that's a very um that was a you know a, a big motivator another one is we you know we when we were researching and writing utopian dreams discovered a wonderful working farm down near Bridport on the dorset coast that you know was, was just exactly what we thought a a, a community should be really so we were lucky to have a very clear thing to emulate, um, and and you know the other reason is is simply you know pretty profound dissatisfaction with with the church and what church going entails. 
and what it means to be a congregation and actually trying to do church in a, in a different way and you know if, if our inspiration is the, the Sermon on the Mount this kind of seems to flow naturally from that I think hopefully Wow that's fascinating I didn't expect uh, church to come up so so quickly in the conversation if at all um, obviously this it isn't a hippie commune then um, it has some of the uh, shall we say some of the telltale signs but it's that would be a misconception say again I didn't hear that sorry. a hippie commune uh-huh. it has I guess some of, for some listeners they may feel that it reminds them somewhat of I guess something like the escape to the, the country sort of thing that you see happening a lot but but a little bit earthier and I guess a little bit reminiscent of a hippie commune, but it's obviously not that. Um, well, I've got a big inner hippie, you know. I mean, <laughs> it's often a pejorative term. You know, some people use it pejoratively, but, you know, I love the ideals of the 60s and 70s, and, you know, like I say, I'm a, I'm a big hippie, but, you know, it is very different. I think, you know, the communal movement that's happening now is, 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 is very interesting and in some ways very different to, to what's happened in the 60s and 70s. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I think we kind of, lots of us have hopefully learned from the mistakes that were made then that carried on the, the ideals. And, you know, I think we know more about what works in communal living than, than perhaps they did back then. And, you know, one of the main things is is to do with you know, having clear rules and boundaries that, you know, I think in the late 60s and early 70s, a lot of communal living was about trying to escape rules and boundaries, whereas, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you're doing, if, you, if you're running an open house policy, you've got to have very clear rules and rhythms and, you know, a whole very transparent set of behavioural codes, if you like. And, you know, I think you need leadership as well. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm all for collegiate, collaborative decisions, but... You know the idea that thirty people can 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 run something. I, I don't really agree with, and I, don't, I think a lot of people would would struggle to to run a you know, a bunch of human beings without leadership. Right. Well, moving on to the next related question, Mood describes itself as a as a new monastic community. Whatever else that may mean, it seems to have a, a few things in common with your project. Yeah, we have leadership too, and we, I guess, believe in boundaries too. Um, yeah, of course, yeah. But and we, we also want to share our life together in a, in a meaningful way. At the minute, not communally or residentially. Yeah. But we, we do seek very much to have a rhythm or a structure, which frames our shared life. Can you tell me about uh, about the rhythms or structures that frame your communal life? Um. Well, we sort of we kind of have bells through the day. I mean, there's, you know, we, some of us, not everyone, because it's not obligatory, meet in the, in the chapel at 7.30 in the morning. People have breakfast and we meet at 9 to discuss what needs doing that morning. There'll be a tea break and then at 12.30 some of us again go back to chapel. There'll be another bell for lunch at 1. Um, and then often in the afternoon people go their own way and we meet again at 6 for, for supper. And, um, you know, some people meet then at 9.15 for conference. So, so that's the, the, the general rhythm of the day. And, and that, that kind of gives, gives 
the day structure. And through the week, there are sort of regular things that happen, like there's a house meeting on a Tuesday afternoon. There's a joy of a cleaning hour on a Thursday morning. <laughs> Every Wednesday is volunteer day, so you've got a lot of volunteers in. So, yeah, there's a they're very sort of clear, clear rhythm to the place. And, and, and you know, there, there are bells throughout the day. And that's, you know, that, as, as you guys do, is, is very much a sort of attempt to replicate the rhythm of monastic life. Wow. I've learned a lot. It seems that you are running or are a part of a fresh expression of church, and not only that, but something that's that's really quite new monastic, which is um, which is interesting. I, I just hadn't realised it. Can you tell us about a little bit about the idealism, I guess, which you talk about in your your book, Utopian Dreams, and the way I guess some of some of the rude intrusions of reality onto that utopian dream of working with perhaps sometimes difficult people or even very average people um, I guess some of the difficulties you may encounter in community living yeah I mean it's uh, I think a lot of people who don't have experience communal living think it's going to be this wonderful bucolic skip through the meadows and we'll all sit around the campfire strumming guitars and and you know changing each other's children's nappies and you know, it's it you know, you know, it's just extraordinarily hard work. Um, just because, you know, there's just a lot to do. And also, you know, living with people's never easy. You know, it's hard enough, you know, living with in a marriage, let alone with a family or, you know, with guests who, you know, you, you don't know at all. And often actually, although it's it is hard work, the rewards are epic, you know, the the fact that for example, you know, I only have to cook one meal a week. It's fantastic. Or the fact that I only have to go shopping once a week instead of, you know, two or three times a week. Because other people are doing jobs for you. Someone else feeds the pigs. Someone else stacks the wood. Someone else lights the stove. You know, suddenly there's a huge weight off your shoulders. So as well as, you know, there are additional burdens, but at the same time, you know, burdens are shared as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I wouldn't, I kind of try and resist the idea that, Francesca and I, this wonderful noble couple, have opened our house to all sorts of vulnerable addicts and people suffering terrible bereavements and mental health issues and all the rest. Because actually, you know, we've all got different degrees of mental health issues or bereavements or addictions or whatever to deal with anyway. And, you know, we're hugely helped by the guests who come here. And I hope, you know, I hope we hugely help them as well. So it's kind of a reciprocal, a reciprocal aid. But it's not, I mean, one of the things that we find quite difficult is, well, there are lots of things we find difficult. One of the things we find quite difficult is, you know, how do you measure someone's needs? You know, if you've got, we only have space for, say, four or five guests maximum. How, and, you know, if you have a long way to how do you decide who needs you more and who you can help more? And there are plenty of people who come to us who are simply sort of fed up with modern life or whose girlfriend trapped them 18 months ago, you know. Mm -hmm. And... You know, they may be in a dark place as much as a person who's, you know, who suffered something apparently much more serious. So it's very difficult to gauge someone's need and see who you can help more. And and so that takes a lot of sort of, a lot of wisdom that we don't often have, I think. But, you know, we're very lucky the people we have been sent. You know, it's amazing how when you need a particular type of person, they do get sent to you somehow, you know, word of mouth or referral or 
through the website or something. So, so yeah, we're, we're lucky in, in as much as you do get some wonderful people, but it's very hard, like I say, to, to know who you can, because you've got a long waiting list, who you can say yes to. Um, and perhaps and you, yeah, other, you, you just can't help at all? No, exactly, exactly. I mean, another major difficulty is financial. Um, because until recently, you know, we weren't set up as a as, as a sort of a, an association or anything. It's just a family home. So, you know, my wife doesn't work, so trying to pay all the bills and the salary of a freelance writer is extraordinarily difficult, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, so financially, we're absolutely a shoestring operation. Um, and we're changing that now because we're trying to do some fundraising and, you know, we've got a management committee and a treasurer and a bank account and all those kind of external things that you need if you're going to do fundraising. And, you know, we're trying to build a, a new chapel because our chapel at the moment is into a year that leaks a lot. <laughs> so we're, we're hoping to build a stone chapel again. You know, that takes a lot of a lot of funds, and so we, we're trying to solve the financial issues because it's just been you know excruciating financially. Um, and yeah, I mean, another thing that's difficult is sort of just getting a settled rhythm to the place, you know, because often people come and go very quickly, someone's here for a week and then they get a phone call and they have a crisis and leave in the dead of night or they fall off the wagon or whatever it is and mm-hmm. suddenly you've got a vacancy and you didn't expect to have it and so, so yeah, that's that, that, that's some of the difficulties, there are lots more. Um, I've got a question, I guess it's connected to society at large. I wonder if you see your your little community, your little unit or cell, um, as part of a, of a of a wider. I mean, in what in what meaningful way is that for you related to wider society? Is is part of your dream with with the shelter related to the I guess the big problems that society uh, seems to be working through, and how how yeah. do you think that's how do you think you're going to change things in the long run, or how are um, things going to be changed? Yeah, blimey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of ever think that I'm going to change, <laughs> change everything, if anything. But, you know, the danger I think in a lot of communities, they become sort of inward-looking, slightly complacent, conceited bunches of like-minded people who sort of deliberately retreat and close themselves off from the world. And the only way to avoid that, I think, is to, is to have, you know, an open door where the uninvited are welcome and are actually at the heart of the place. And, and if that happens, you're inevitably very engaged with the outside world. And, you know, you sort of see the back end of the way we're living in, in contemporary society. You know, you see the back end of addiction. You see the back end of, of things. And so, you know, I think that's, that's the way to engage so-called real world, is to, is to sort of embrace it and, 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 and welcome it, hard as it is, sometimes it is. But also, I think the other way is just, kind of the old-fashioned idea of being trying to be a city on the hill, you know, trying to do something that people look at and say, oh, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's an alternative way of, way of doing things and, and be inspired by that in the same way that we were inspired by the Pilsen community and sort of, whether it's writing columns for the Observer or writing a book about what we're doing here, hopefully people take away a few ideas and think some might be valid. But I don't know, I mean, I don't, I, I, I certainly wouldn't, ever think that we are we're going to change everything um, do you think communities like yours have a part to play in in healing society or helping society to become a healthier thing 
Um, I wouldn't even say that. I'm, you know, I wouldn't even put anything in that sort of ambitious terms, really. You know, I wouldn't ever sort of think we've got to heal society. You know, really hope we heal people and individuals. Mm-hmm. But healing society, I wouldn't even know what that would mean, really. You know, we sort of it would be just too too big a concept. I think. You know, healing hopefully is at the heart of this place, but it's. It's it's more to do with who's here rather than the whole wide world. I think. It's, I think I'm, refer, I'm reflecting on on the theme of, of consumption and the critique you um, have of of kind of that sort of societal trend in your book, and and I guess that being a microcosmic sort of macrocosmic, pardon me, um, sort of theme, and uh, and I'm. I guess I'm inferring that you live in community because of a, a desire to um, step out of that, off that treadmill, as it were, and other such societal ills. But yeah, I mean, I certainly think you know, in terms of consumerism, the more people there are living together, the less you consume. You know, you don't all need to have a washing machine and a microwave and a boiler and an oven and all those, you know, all that gadgetry. So certainly a much less consumist way to live. And, yeah, I suppose there are things we do do slightly differently. But, again, I wouldn't sort of we try not to be too... You know, I'm, more, I'm, I'm less interested in in independence than I am in interdependence. And, I'm, you know, sort of... Yes. I'm always wary about sort of having a dislocation from the outside world. Um, a, you know, it's a kind of a fine line, isn't it, to what, what you're rightly saying about trying to to live in a different way. But at the same time, trying to live alongside people and, and, and welcome people and do something that they can recognise and identify with. Yeah, it reminds me of the, the quotation I, I can't quite remember. I know Stanley Harvest has um, rephrased it, but it goes something like, the line between the church and the world runs through the heart of every Christian, mm. rather than being a sort of church-world split. Yeah. So, um, would you, I mean, here, here's a sort of bold question, you may have no answer, but I, I guess in the broadest possible terms, could you say that this community has offered salvation in any way? Um, what does it mean to you? Has it changed your life? Has it helped your life? Um, well, it's certainly changed my life, and it's changed you know, our family's life, and it's hopefully helped lots of people who've stayed here. I, I suppose... Well, I hope there's, you know, redemption goes on here and a lot of sort of metaphorical foot washing. You know, I was always very impressed with Pilton that the, you know, the chap who was in charge of the place was the guy who was serving the food and, and you know, doing the metaphorical foot washing because he, you know, he was there serving everyone else. And you go to some communities and the leader sits in an armchair and people kind of run around and tie his shoelaces or her shoelaces. So... But yeah, it certainly, it certainly sort of hugely changed our our lives. But in terms of salvation, I don't, I don't know that I'll put it in sort of quite such terms. Really, I mean, I think it, I'd probably leave it for other people to say that rather than you know, I feel a bit, bit more modest about it probably than that. Yes, I understand. I guess the final question: We started off by talking about you being um, a fresh expression of church, um, if you like. I use that in an inverted commas and being dissatisfied with with church if you could um distill your life now not your life perhaps and maybe not representing you but this wider movement of communal living what what is it saying to the church at large there needs to be a lot more practice and a lot less theory i think uh-huh. and i think 
don't get me wrong, I think there's a wonderful amount of uh, practice that goes on in church and a wonderful amount of charity and, and all the rest. But most people are hugely put off by church as it's done today for all sorts of reasons. You know, one of the main ones as far as I'm it, it just seems irrelevant to the vast majority of people in the country and actually a hardcore atheist can go to somewhere like Pilsden and, and, and be blown away by it and think something unbelievable is happening here in a way that I don't think would ever happen if they went to church and and so it's about really sort of trying to be a city on the hill trying to to walk the walk really and give out a signal of what can be done and you know I think Actually, the church is at the forefront of a lot of fascinating, brilliant communal movements. It's just a shame there aren't more of them, you know, because, like I say, it's kind of, I think, a lot of communities are, are sort of the threshold for, for, for church in the widest sense of that word, you know, that actually communities is the, is the forecourse, if you like. It's where people can see what really can go on if you if you walk the walk. So for, for us, it's a kind of, you know, it's a, it's a way of living our faith. And also, I'm, I'm much more interested in what people do than what they believe. You know, we can have arguments with people about their beliefs forever and ever and ever. But actually, if you if you act out what you believe, you kind of have to, you, there's less debate about faith and about words and liturgy and creed. And it's more about actually getting on with it and, and showing people what you believe. You know, it's like that you know, famous St. Francis line about preaching the gospel and, you know, only resorting to words if absolutely necessary, you know. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of... No, that's great, thank you. In a, in a tip of the hat to the need for more practice and less theory, um, tell us what your, your day looks like today. Well, I am going through the proof of my next book, which is a torturous process because it's, you know, horrible. You think you've finished it and then it comes back to you with 800 legal comments from a libel lawyer. And then I am doing pig fencing and hanging gates in the pig pens because we've got to wean the piglets. So I'll be chasing, chasing two months old piglets around the field probably, <laughs> which is a far preferable job. <laughs> it sounds, sounds great. Thanks very much for talking to us, Tobias. Not at all. Um, and maybe some of us will come down and visit you sometime. Oh, you'd be welcome. Yeah, do. Appropriate do day. bring some people down. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Many thanks. Not at all. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye. I'll speak to you again. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net. Mm-hmm.